So uh, we're talking about a new series, uh, Things Jesus Never Said. Things Jesus Never Said. There's a lot of them. A lot of things that we feel like he said, but here's one thing. Jesus never said, you don't need to forgive them. You don't need to forgive them. And we know who them is. Them to us are those that we feel justified in not forgiving because of the degree of hurt, the duration of hurt that was egregious. was a good word Tim gave me about that. Tim said egregious. That they afflicted on us. You know, someone, something that someone has done to us is so, it's so bad that we feel like we don't have to forgive them. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus never said, you don't have to forgive them. You don't have to forgive them because it's going to be too hard to forgive them because they really, really hurt you. They really wronged you. So go ahead and hold a grudge against them. Go ahead and be bitter. Go ahead and have unforgiveness against them. He didn't say that. As a matter of fact, here's what he said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You might recognize this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And you may be interested to know that those bracketed, that bracketed area, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When you see that in a modern translation, this is the New American Standard. Uh, when you see that in a modern translation, it means that those words were not in earlier manuscripts. When they discovered earlier manuscripts, they found that that had been added. Now, that doesn't mean that it was added to the Bible, but it means maybe it was left out earlier, but they just let you know. That's information for you that they have endeavored to bring the Bible in line with the earliest manuscripts that we have. So, so Jesus says if we, that we want God to forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive those who have debts against us. So we want to forgive in the same way. Then he clarifies this in verse 14 and 15. After the prayer, he said amen to the Lord's prayer. And then he adds this. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now that sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? It sounds like to me that God takes it really serious whether we forgive people or not. Doesn't it sound that way? He said, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. If you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Seems like a big deal. Now when we talk about forgiveness, it does create emotion in people because there have been bad things that have happened. As a matter of fact, there's hardly probably anybody really in this room that has escaped some very negative things happening. And so we, want, we sometimes think that, well, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand why I'm holding on to this because they really hurt me. You don't understand. It's true. I don't understand, but God does. Things like a spouse that has cheated, best friend that's lied about you to others, someone who you loved and admired let you down. Uh, somebody uh, didn't pay you what they owed you, and they left you holding the bag. Broken promises, people who didn't do what they said they would do. 
people who use you for their benefit. Uh, our parents sometimes hurt us. Sometimes people have unforgiveness towards their parents. Uh, it's easy as a parent. It's easy as a parent to screw up. Parenting's a hard job. We all screw up our kids a little bit, right? Only all the kids are saying yes. Uh, you know, sometimes as parents, we weren't. You know, we 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 got our priorities out of line. We had trouble. We you know we did things we shouldn't have done. Sometimes parents really mess up. Parents who are supposed to protect you instead hurt you. Uh, they hurt you emotionally. Some parents hurt their kids physically. Uh, spiritually. Some, some parents abuse their kids sexually. We know this is a reality. Uh, it's going to scar. And so when we've been hurt, when we've been hurt to a great deal, one of the things is that we don't want to forgive because forgiving feels like we're letting the person off the hook. It's like we feel like we're, as long as we hold this bitterness, is that we're holding them accountable. So we need to hold on to it because it was, you know, it was what we've experienced is of such depth that we don't want to let it go. But it was horrible. It was reprehensible. It was, it was egregious. It was wrong. And sometimes, as brutal as it is to endure something against ourselves, sometimes it's even worse to see it endured by someone we love. We act, you know, if, some, if, if someone hurts your kids, you might react more strongly than someone who actually hurts you, right? I mean, I, you probably read in the news this last week, a lady, I think it was in Houston, who, whose kid was getting bullied at school, so she went to the school and cussed out the kids. She got in more trouble than the bullies, you know, because you don't solve a bully problem by bullying the bullies. But, you know, sometimes we we're, we're feel desperate. We don't, we don't know what, we make mistakes. Uh, how in the world do you forgive something that seems unforgivable? How do we forgive? Because a lot of times we don't forgive. The reason we don't forgive is because we don't want to. I mean, we really, we want to we hold, hold them in what they've done wrong. So Jesus gives us some clues in how to forgive. He's already told us how important it is to him. So he gives us clues in the prayer. He says, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, one of the things about this, he's not just my father, he's our father. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, through Jesus Christ. But in that salvation experience, when I came to Christ personally, by the Spirit of God, He placed me in the body of Christ. So my personal relationship is also a corporate relationship. So some of my prayer life is both personal. There's, I need to personally pray. And then there's things that God is going to do through corporal prayer through all of us praying. We says, Jesus is saying, we pray like this, our father. It must mean there's a crowd with him, right? So there's some things that God is going to do in your life individually. And there's some things that God is going to do in your life through the body of Christ. Some things he's going to help you work out, you know, like I didn't even really know I had a temper till I had children. 
But man, did it come to the surface. And boy, my kids knew how to push my buttons. And so that was something I'd, I'd never struggled with. But I certainly struggled with it then, and I had to deal with it then, and the, and the Lord would bring it up to me. You know, and I, I, you know, I don't know, I've apologized to my kids a bunch of times. I'm sorry, kids, that, that I lost my temper a lot. I did. I struggled with it. And that's what will happen. You know, there are things in relationships that's one of the things, we, that's one of the values of marriage. One of the various values of marriage is that marriage helps you deal with things that you would not confront otherwise. There's things about your person, there's things about your personality that probably need to be challenged. There's things about your, you know, the way you do life that was just normal to you that you get married and your husband or wife says, you can't act that way. Or your wife says, you can't wear that out of the house, you know. And that's, that's one of the things that God brings us to relationship. We're in the body of Christ, and God is going to use the body of Christ to help you mature. There's going, in other words, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get wounded. In relate, that sometimes surprises people that they think, well, this is the body of Christ, and we're all perfect people. Well, we all are perfect people relationally in Jesus Christ, but practically we're all still pretty screwed up. So you get us all together, we still hurt each other. We hurt each other's feelings, we say wrong things, we do wrong things. And so in the body of Christ, this corporate body, we often need healing. We often need to forgive each other. The more close you are in relationship, the more you have to forgive. You have to forgive your husband, you have to give your spouse, you have to forgive your children. More so than you do a stranger, right? Right? Because you're in a relationship. So one of the things that God is doing, he's doing it in, an, in our father. He's doing it corporately. He says, how you relate to each other is important. I mean, think about this as a dad. Uh, as a dad, nothing, nothing is more frustrating. Or as a parent, doesn't have to be a dad. You can be a mom too. Uh, as a parent, it's frustrating when your kids fight. Right? When they fight over... And it's normally not over significant things. It's over insignificant things. You can imagine that God doesn't want his children to fight. Don't make me pull this universe over. Uh, <laughs> but as a parent, is there any greater joy as a parent than having your kids gather around you and to get along? I mean, it's, it's a tremendous joy. Matthew, 20, Matthew 5 verse 23 says this, Therefore, if you're presenting... You're offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So, you know, our Heavenly Father is saying, don't bring me offerings when you're fighting with your siblings. Go make it right. Then come worship. So he's saying, don't, don't fight with each other. I want you to worship. And here's what I have to understand about offense and forgiveness being offended is a prison. We talked about being free and freedom today and breaking, breaking free. Being offended is a prison, and the only key to that prison is forgiveness. The only way out. If we live in bitterness 
and resentment and hatred, then we continue to let the wound stay infected. And if a wound stays infected, it doesn't just infect one area. It will poison the body. It poisons your whole soul. So how do we forgive when we don't want to? Because that's where we sometimes get to, right? We know we ought to. We know the should is there. We, we believe we should, but inside we're thinking, I'm, I would really like to hold on to this a little longer. Because I don't feel like they've suffered enough. And what we often have to recognize is that our unforgiveness is not causing them to suffer. It's causing us to suffer. So how do we deal with it? First, start with prayer for the person who hurt you. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is saying, don't just love those that love you. Love those people who don't love you. Now, that's hard. So how do you do that? Well, you have to put action before feelings. If you only do what you feel in this life, you will very seldom do all the right things. We don't let our feelings rule our obedience to God. We let our obedience to God rule our feelings. And so what do we do? We pray for those we don't want to pray for. We pray for our enemies. We pray. That's how we begin the process of forgiveness as we begin to pray for our enemies. And here's what it does. Prayer may not change them, but I guarantee you, prayer will change you. And so we begin the process by praying. God, prayer is this is a God-honoring thing. It's saying, God, you know, you're inviting God into the mix. You're saying, God, I know you want me to forgive this person. In my feelings, in my memories, I do not want to forgive this person. So God, I ask you for help and strength. I'm going to bring this to you, and I'm going to do what you said. You said to pray for my enemies. So God, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying. You know, some of you, I'll pray for my enemies. Oh God, smite my enemies. (laughs) No. No, you're praying God's will and God's best for them. You're praying God's will, and Lord, I want the very best for them. I want your will to be fulfilled in their life. I want them to experience the joy and life of God that only you can give. I want them to have peace that passes understanding. Now, sometimes we want to pray Old Testament prayers. God, get them, you know. So prayer is always a great place to start because prayer prepares our heart to forgive. And then secondly, we have to choose. We, have, we can make a choice. We're not in bondage to unforgiveness. We can choose to forgive. Here's what Paul said to the Colossians. So as those who have been chosen of God, so he's, he's saying to the Colossians, you're, you're God's people, you're holy, you're beloved, you're, you, you are loved by God. As those who have, are holy and are loved by God, put on a heart of compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. You know, that just means putting up with each other. And forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. How did the Lord forgive you? 
freely, gladly. How did the Lord forgive you? Did the Lord, when you go to the Lord and said, God forgive me, he didn't say, not again. I mean, think about it. Some of you have been serving the Lord a long time. I've been serving the Lord a long time. Have, did, you, did you quit sinning when you came to Jesus? So when you go to him forgiveness, did he ever say, this is the 942nd time you've asked for forgiveness. And I don't know if you know about this, but 940, 940 is the limit. And you're too over the grace limit. You're not getting any more forgiveness for this, buddy. No. It's always abundant, lavish grace that he just keeps giving us. And he, so he says to you, in the same way that you have been forgiven, I want you to forgive. The same way. That, that abundant, immediate forgiveness. Andy Stanley says this. In the shadow of my hurt, unforgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. We don't deserve it. Do you earn forgiveness? It's a grace. So we think we say things like this. Have you ever had I've had when when I've asked people to forgive me, I've had all of these things have been told to me, no, you didn't apologize with enough intensity. In other words, I don't, I don't, I don't believe you. Or your words, you didn't use the right words. Or another, another one that I don't think you really meant it. Your apology wasn't sincere. It's like, it probably wasn't. But I'm still trying. Because here's the reality. You don't know the motive of my heart. You don't. You know, people say, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. I don't even know what I'm thinking most of the time. How do you know what I'm thinking? I know why you did that. No. So we, we don't have the ability to determine other people's motivation. We don't have to determine the ability to determine whether their, their apology is sincere. We don't have the ability to determine if their words are the right words to judge their motives if they really meant it. So, so when we go to God, does God say, well, you know, you know, you asked for forgiveness, but I really wish you'd been on your knees when you did it. I mean, if you're driving in your car and you say, oh God, I, I want to kill that driver who just cut me off. Lord, forgive me. Does he say, wait till you get to church? No. How do we get forgiveness? Instantaneously. Gladly, rejoicing, he gives us forgiveness. So that's how he wants us to forgive forgiveness. He wants us to give forgiveness gladly, rejoicing, not, with, with, not without adding a bunch of conditions. Oh, they don't think they really meant it. Oh, I don't think it was really sincere. Oh, they didn't say the right words. So we, we give forgiveness not because we're afraid it's going to hurt us, but because we know that healing can only come in forgiveness. What forgiveness is not? Forgiveness doesn't mean the end of truth. In other words, if I'm forgiving someone, let's say that, that, uh, that someone stole $100,000 from you. 
Anybody that going to hurt a little bit? No? I say, no, I don't have $100,000. I want to know where they got it. Uh, uh, so, and so you need to forgive them. Just biblically, you need to, for your own health, you need to forgive them. But it doesn't erase the truth that they stole $100,000 from you. The truth is still the truth. If, you know, I, and we've seen this. We've seen people who murdered someone's children. And in the courtroom, the, the parents of the child that was murdered say to the murderer, I forgive you. Have you seen that? That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, that doesn't erase the murder, right? They still go to jail. They still pay the price. But it, it erases the pain that is holding the person that has had the wrong done to them. They're free. So it doesn't change what happened. In other words, forgiveness doesn't mean that, okay, well, it goes away. It doesn't go away. It happened, but I still forgive you. The $100,000 is gone, but I, I forgive you. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. I mean, you know, we sometimes we think of Jesus meek and mild. This is not Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus a little ticked off. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of the cup may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which are on the outside appear beautiful, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's calling them out, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and join the, the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. For you testify against yourselves that you're the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Now, that's a truth bomb right there. At the same time, Jesus is offering them salvation. Jesus is going to die on the cross for the very people he's just declared. Don't depend on your own self-righteousness. Get your righteousness from me. He's offering them salvation for them to walk away from their own self-righteousness and to depend on him for salvation. He's offering them salvation, but it required the truth. Forgiveness is not an abandonment of the truth. Uh, sometimes in a relationship, you need decisive, loving confrontation. When I saw 
Now, this is uh, in Galatians 2, 14. We covered this a couple of weeks ago, but most of you weren't here, so. Some of you weren't here. And it's a couple of weeks ago, you don't remember anyway. So, uh, so the problem in Galatians that Paul is writing to the Galatians to deal with is that there were a group of people that had come from Jerusalem that are called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers had come to the Galatians and were saying that Jesus was good. It's good to be a follower of Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. If you want to be a real follower of Jesus, you need to not only follow Jesus, but you need to keep the Old Testament law. That Jesus was good, but Jesus wasn't enough. So, Paul is speaking of that in Galatians. He's given an example of this when he had to confront Cephas. Now, Cephas is Peter. Peter is, in a sense, the one that Jesus kind of gave the stamp of approval, hey, he's going to be like the number one guy when I'm gone. He's one of the original 12. Paul is not one of the original 12. Paul is, has become an apostle. He's been appointed by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, but nobody there saw it. None of the apostles were there, so they have to take Paul's word for it that he's been called by Jesus to be an apostle to take the place of Judas. So he's kind of like a Johnny-come-lately. He didn't walk with Jesus like Peter did. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. So the truth of the gospel is this. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. You can't get to God by keeping the law. If the law could save us, there was no reason for Jesus to come. So I, my relationship with God is not built upon my ability to keep the law. My relationship with God is built upon the work that Christ did on the cross. We believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins. And when we believe on that, we believe on his death and resurrection, we receive salvation. That's the gospel. The gospel is salvation comes through Christ. Gospel means good news. It's good news that Jesus saves us. I don't save myself by my works. Now, because I am saved, because Jesus lives in me, now I have a desire to do the things that please him out of love. But my relationship is settled because of his work on the cross, not because of me. So he's, that's the gospel. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So basically he says, I had to confront Peter because he was yielding to the old ethnic pressure of the Jews or the chosen people of God and everybody else is not. So my real faith is in my ethnicity, not in Christ. So he said, I had to confront him, and I confronted him publicly. So sometimes in a relationship, there is a need, even, even though there's a need for loving confrontation. It doesn't, forgiveness doesn't mean we don't confront with the truth, right? Forgiveness also doesn't mean that every relationship will go back to the way it was. 
Romans 12, 17 says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Here's the reality. It's not always dependent upon you. Relationships take at least two people. You cannot control what other people do or how they respond. You can forgive them. You can give them grace. You can give them compassion. They can still be a jerk. And so you can't, you, so what does he say? He says, as much as life within you, as much as it depends on you, you do your part. You know, sometimes we want to make our forgiveness conditional because the other person doesn't do their part. They didn't, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Actually, true forgiveness is not based on what the other person does at all. What if they never ask for an apology? Are you going to let that unforgiveness hold you in bondage for the rest of your life because they never asked and said they were sorry? So since they never said they're sorry, you're going to be miserable. Forgiveness is not dependent upon the actions of the other person at all. We often think it is. Forgiveness is dependent upon the action of Christ on the cross because we are forgiven. That's why we forgive. Because we want to be whole and healthy ourselves. We don't want to, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's, you've all heard that. We can't control how other people respond. It doesn't mean that every relationship is going to go back exactly the way it was because we can't control what other people do. But we can control what we do. Right? Once trust is broken... It's not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is given based on what Christ has done for us. Trust is a characteristic of a relationship that once it is broken has to be earned. Trust has to be earned. If you break trust, it's, if trust is broken, it is legitimate to expect Someone who has hurt you, like the miscellaneous $100,000, okay? I'm not going in business with them again, right? I'm going to love them. I'm going to forgive them, but I'm not going to trust them. I'm not going to put myself out there until, until I see a real heart change in them. Now, Joseph was one that had his older brothers sold him into slavery. You've all heard, probably heard this story of Joseph. And, and so his brothers sold him into slavery. And that's, that's pretty bad family drama right there, right? Your, your other brothers sell you into slavery. So his brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up, he sold to Potiphar, who is the keeper of the guard uh, for Pharaoh. And uh, he's put in charge of Pharaoh's house because he excels in that. And Pharaoh's, I mean, and Potiphar's wife wants Joseph. And when he rebuffs her repeatedly, then she makes it look like he tried to rape her. And so he gets punished for that and he gets put in prison. So for doing the right thing, he gets put in jail. So when he's in jail... He, uh, he excels at, at running the jail. They put him in charge of the jail. And eventually, turn of events, 
he ends up being the number two guy in Egypt. So he's the number two guy in Egypt. And uh, he gets married. He has some kids. It says here, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's house. So when Joseph got married, he said, God's healed me from my past. Now I want to tell you, when you have kids, you want to be healed from your past when you have kids. Because you don't want to infect your kids with your sickness. Does that make sense? So you, so you want, there's things in your past that you need to, that you want to deal with before you have kids. Or if you don't deal with them before you have kids, you'll have a tendency to bring your kids into that disease. So, but Joseph said, God healed me. God healed me from all this pain. God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. So did he really forget? Is he saying, I forgot? No, he didn't forget. He knew what happened, knew exactly what happened. He was aware of what happened. But, but the pain of it is gone. He's let go of it. He's forgiven his brothers. He said, and he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So, course of events, one day his brothers show up. There's a famine in the land. Joseph is number two in Egypt because he is managing the famine. Everything that happened, Pharaoh's put him in charge of managing who gets grain and who doesn't get grain. And everything that happens, Joseph is handling. One day his brothers show up. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Why did he disguise himself? Because he didn't forgive them? No, he'd already forgiven them. God has caused me to forget all my pain and all my father's household. He disguised himself because he didn't trust them. And he made them jump through some hoops. So he said, listen, where's Benjamin, your younger brother? Because he knew they had a younger brother. Where's your younger brother? Well, he's back home. And he's worried that maybe the same thing that's happened to him has happened to Benjamin. So he says, until I see Benjamin, you're not going to get out of here. He makes them prove themselves when they show that they're willing to put their life on the line to protect their father and to protect Benjamin, he realizes that their hearts have changed. And when he sees that their hearts have changed, then he reveals himself to them because he's willing to trust them. And when he reveals himself to them, it scares them to death. Think about it. They think this guy has the power to kill us. And this is, this is the brother we this is the brother we sold into slavery. We never thought we'd have to deal with this again. I'm gonna make that. <laughs> I agree with that. I was gonna make that point, but I'm glad you made that point. So he they re-earned the trust that had been broken. Forgiveness is given based on the nature and character of God. We forgive because we've been forgiven. In a relationship, when you've hurt someone, it's reasonable for them to expect 
that to not trust you, they forgive you, but trust will have to be rebuilt. That they, they may put conditions on you, and it may be reasonable for them to put conditions on you. They may say to you, uh, let me see your phone. Let me see your phone. What's on your phone? No. Well, that's a problem. So it's not mean when God tells you to forgive. Dave Willis says this, says this, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, their father, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness empowers you to set the prisoner free. And it helps you to realize that you are the prisoner of unforgiveness. God wants you to forgive because he wants you to be free of the bondage of unforgiveness. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand.